This week, we discuss the roots of prohibition, the Amazon rainforest, and being a ganjapreneur. Coming up right now on Critical Grass. Get it, man, and get with the countdown. Shake this square world and blast off for Kicksville. Critical Grass. It's stimulating, mind-expanding, safer to use than alcohol. It's the in thing, the hula hoop of the jet generation, and as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. Critical Grass. He's looked at both the pros and cons of blowing pot. He's not convinced that grass is all that harmful, but there is room for a lot of doubt. Why don't we wait and see? There's a lot of testing to be done before we'll know all the facts. Critical Grass. Paulo Costa. I'm from Brazil, São Paulo, and I'm a ganjapreneur, so I do business in the cannabis market. such an animated dancey little beat like that i had to extend that intro for a few short seconds to let you the listener bust a few samba moves wherever you happen to be listening just thinking of my loyal fan base consider it a little gift to kick off season two of the critical grass podcast welcome back everyone by the way that was ahmed sirur with a track titled move love samba house remix and yes, I had to go with some samba in honor of this week's guest, João Paulo Costa, or Paulo Costa, if you struggle with nasal vowel sounds in Portuguese, the language of his native Brazil. João is what people refer to as a ganjapreneur, meaning he's a busy little bee in the cannabis industry, specifically creating various startups and online courses related to cannabis, in addition to being a cannabis patient himself, the details of which we'll get into in a few moments. Joao is also a self-described digital nomad who does a fair amount of traveling across the globe, of course, to promote, you guessed it, the use of cannabis. He's even made an appearance on the Brazilian edition of Shark Tank for his cannabis-related startup, Who is Happy? Although his target audience tends to be in the Portuguese-speaking world, you can find courses from his Ganja Talks University in several different languages, so no excuses to do a bit of book learning and brain thinking, kids. Joao and I had a very interesting chat via Skype where I got to ask him about his various businesses and projects, and I wanted to learn more about how he became said Ganjapreneur and how he initially found himself in the cannabis business. 
I have epilepsy, so I had several problems in the like in my life with that seizures and things like that. Most part of my life, I kind of didn't have any relationship with cannabis because I ha I came from a really conservative family. So the way we look to cannabis here in Latin America is different than the rest of the world because we have a lot of religions involved with cannabis. So it took me a while to start using cannabis every day. I was really in a bad situation in the kind of uh, changing my medicine, having seizures all the time. And I heard about cannabis that's going to make me better, the CBD, but it was a long time ago. Didn't have much information on internet and everything. And I started to use it without like many information. And my life changed. So then I lived in the bedroom with a sound proof and light proof as well because if like i wake up in the middle of the night i could have a seizure so i needed to have like a role uh, a really quiet and dark room to live and after i start to smoke every day like start to use cannabis i never needed to live anymore in this bedroom after using cannabis i i have a normal life so i can go out i can drink I can do whatever a normal person uh, does, but in, in the past it was totally different. After I realized that, I started to like work and start to talk about cannabis, how cannabis is good for my life, how cannabis is important as a business. So that was my transformation, came from my, my, my epilepsy. Joao's case seems like a bit of a blessing in disguise. If you yourself have epilepsy or know someone who has, you will know that this is no laughing matter. There is nothing worse than lying on the ground trembling uncontrollably as those around you watch helplessly in the hopes that it will soon be over. Perhaps the only worse thing is being the parent or loved one of such a person and watching them suffer an epileptic fit without being able to help. Joao mentions that it was because of the conservativeness of Brazilian society that prevented him from trying cannabis any sooner. Sadly, this is still the case in many places throughout the world, partly due to misinformation or a lack of information, but also as a result of stigmatization. Sound familiar? Well, Brazil, much like most of the world, has also waged a war on drugs, and only recently have people started realizing the incredible potential of cannabis as a treatment for a wide range of illnesses. So where did the breakthrough come for Joao? What finally led him to give cannabis a shot at relieving his epilepsy? What's happening is uh, my family lives in Canada. I studied that, that like cinema and other stuff. And at that time, people really, like at that time, they still enjoying cannabis a lot. And some information from the, the, the movement, the legalization movement about seizures, about CBD start to going on. And didn't have like actually like really written academic or uh, doctors talking about that. A, 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 a person that does like the legalization movement over there. Actually, is the the Prince of Pot. The is a huge activist in Canada. He's owner of cannabis culture. And one day we were in the uh, political meeting 
to talk about gentrification, other stuff in, in Canada. And I asked him, uh, what do you think about it? Do you think I can treat me myself with cannabis? And he said, yeah, totally. You should go for it. He gave me a like uh, email address. But at that time, I didn't pay attention. He, he said, but that it was in my mind. It was a seed. After a while, another friend from Canada, he said, man, why are you not uh, like trying cannabis? It's the best medicine. And then like Google, it, Google was not a thing, you know, it's like it was a long time ago. So then one day I started to smoke it. I just bought like some really cheap cannabis here. And, and then like I started to smoke and then my life changed. So after that, I never stopped anymore. Mm-hmm. Canadians have had a pretty relaxed attitude towards cannabis in the past few years, as evidenced by the country's decision to legalize its use. Though there still are serious issues with that, but that's a topic for another podcast. Either way, it comes as no surprise that Joao was encouraged to try cannabis while in the Great White North. The Prince of Pot, who Joao is referring to, is none other than Mark Emery, the famous Canadian cannabis activist and fellow ganjapreneur, who did time in a U.S. prison a few years ago for selling cannabis seeds across the border to Americans. So upon getting a ringing endorsement from a cannabis celebrity such as Mr. Emery, Joao gave it a go and hasn't looked back since. However, stigmatization is still a thing, especially in conservative Latin America. Granted, he didn't have the luxury of seeing a cannabis-friendly doctor who could help select the right cultivar for him and monitor his progress but his self-medicating seems to have worked enough to allow him to function on a daily basis, something most people suffering from epilepsy want the most. At any rate, you'd think that successfully treating such a serious condition would be celebrated by everyone. However, decades of prohibition and propaganda have left most Western societies in the dark about the plant and people's reactions can still vary significantly. I wanted to know whether Joao had to deal with being stigmatized despite the dramatic change for the better in his life. I'm still dealing with that, man. It's like, it's like in the past was worse. What is happening is uh, I start to, to use cannabis uh, some time ago that we didn't have the coverage of the, the media, you know. We didn't have like many information going on. And it's really Catholic and conservative country. So I, this approach, talking about uh, those nonsense about cannabis, I, I still like facing right now. Like I still listen that. And because like I'm a, I'm a, a, pa- a patient about cannabis, I, I, I needed to have information to talk with that. And right now it's more about business because I. I do business, I just do business in the cannabis market. So it's not anymore about like, uh, in the beginning was like about like my illness right now because TV and like everything is talking about that like in Brazil. Now change it a little bit. The problem is more like recreational side, it's more the business side. Because right now every not everyone, but the, the majority of the population now knows that it's a medicine in a way. But like the recreational side is like, is the business side is still like really hard to talk about that. So as far as medical use goes, cannabis is welcome in Brazil as long as it's used to combat illness and the associated suffering. 
but based on Zhuo's statements, any other use is still somewhat controversial and suspect. So consuming cannabis just for pleasure is still kind of a no-no, and if you want to do any sort of business with it, well, how dare you, you greedy little dope peddler? At least in an official capacity. What the people actually think, and not necessarily the authorities, can be quite different. And that's not just limited to Brazil. Well, what about patients in Brazil? How would they go about obtaining cannabis to treat an illness? So what's happening is the medicinal side is going well in a way because like families can go to a doctor, have a prescription. So there is a department here in Brazil that regulates medicine and everything. So you need to apply with all those documents that the doctor gave to, to you. You apply and then you can import from like companies outside of Brazil which is really expensive. So the mothers are uh, suing the government saying, oh, hey, you guys legalizing the medicinal side, but I can afford it. So I need to cultivate my own because it's your, like, it's your fault that I don't have uh, my medicine. So all the judges, not all the judges, but some judges are like giving permission to families to cultivate uh, at their place and start like having their own medicine. So that is the, the movement right now. Families getting like l not licensed, but like, like judge allowing them to cultivate. And also like uh, some part of the population that have money, uh, they buy from the United States and things like that. In a like medicinal side, it's legal, but it's really hard. Like it's not mm. easy. Then, like United States, it's like really complex, and we don't have much patience right now here. But uh, in a way, we have because we have like a movie talking about that. We have a lot of like coverage of TV. So this side is more well developed here in Brazil. But the other side, the recreational side, it's, uh, it's not that good. Uh, what we have, like, uh, really good we have is, is not like uh, actual crime to get with small portions of cannabis. You don't go to jail. So it's kind of, um, you are doing something wrong. I don't know how to say in English, but it's not actually, you don't go to jail for consumption of cannabis but in a way is uh, these uh, the judge will like uh, that is a whole process so they the cops caught you you go to the police station and then they write what they 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 think you and then the judge is gonna take a look the problem is if you are black and comes from the poor uh community here in brazil they're gonna say you're a drug dealer doesn't matter the portion that you have. But if you are caught in the, if you are white and caught in the rich area here in Brazil, they're going to say you are, cons uh, you are consuming cannabis. So this is in a way, it's not a crime, but depends of how the judge see and uh, how the judge see and, this, and the society see. It's like the poor communities is the dealers and the rich can use it not can use it, but like the cops not gonna do 
something with you. You know what I mean? They're going to say, hey, just go. You're like, give me your weed. And something like that's going to happen. But this is really different from our poor community, our poor area. So like many other countries around the world that have okayed the medical use of cannabis but are still very weary of legalizing any use beyond that, Brazil has started to import cannabis from abroad, which to me is bafflingly silly given the geography of the country and the fact that it could become a massive exporter of cannabis. And just like in other countries, if you have to import the product, you will have middlemen along the way who will inevitably drive the price up which many patients, particularly in poorer areas, simply cannot afford. As a result of this mess, home growing has become a necessity for a lot of Brazilian patients. The laws currently don't allow for people to enter a medical program like some places in the US or Europe, so you have to obtain a permission from a judge. The number of patients is still not as big as you would expect. My guess is that this is due to the continued stigmatization and lack of education, but I expect this will change, especially with more places around the world opening up to cannabis as medicine. Joao also mentions another very sad aspect of Brazilian politics, and many Americans will also be able to relate to the situation. I'd like to play a little quote here from American linguist, philosopher, and social critic Noam Chomsky, who brilliantly sums up the rationale behind the concept of prohibition. See, very commonly... Uh, substances are criminalized because they're associated with what were called the, which are called the dangerous classes, you know, poor people or working people. So, for example, in England in the 19th century, uh, there was a period when gin was criminalized and whiskey wasn't, because gin is what poor people drink. That's kind of like the sentencing for crack and powder. You know? uh, when in the early stages of prohibition in the United States. Uh, one of the targets was immigrant, immigrant workers. You know, these guys hanging around the saloons in New York. Got to go after them. Um, the rich guys in upstate New York, they're going to drink no matter what. You know, they want to come home after work, they'll drink. But go after those guys. What about marijuana? The marijuana was brought in by Mexicans. Uh, and the first criminalization of marijuana was in the Southwest, in the States. It was in uh, New Mexico, later Utah, and so on. And it was specifically targeted against Mexicans. Uh, it didn't get criminalized in the United States until shortly after Prohibition ended. <coughs> after Prohibition ended, we had this huge Bureau of Narcotics, and they had to do something. Uh, so they discovered, you know, that marijuana is going to do all kind of horrible things to you. The Senate testimony about this is mind-boggling. Uh, there was the there was they did have a, a representative of the American Medical Association who said, we don't have any medical evidence about him, about this. He was shut up, denounced, you know, they got rid of him right away. Uh, then they found somebody else. This is literally true. They found a pharmacologist, the guy teaching at Temple University, uh, who was using, who was doing experiments with marijuana and dogs. Okay. And they brought this guy in to test. The testimony is hilarious. You, know? you really have to read it. They brought this guy in. He testified that when he gave marijuana the dogs they went insane you know they did all kind of things uh, and then the uh, some senator or somebody asked him this is from memories so it's probably a little off but something like this as in the 30s they asked the guy well have you ever tried marijuana on humans so he said yeah i tried it on himself and he said well what happened he said i turned into a vulture i started flying around the room you know so they uh, so oh my god this stuff is terrible it makes people insane 
And uh, marijuana, it was declared by Congress that marijuana makes people insane. But then something happened. It turned out that lawyers, defense lawyers, got the idea, okay, I can use this for an insanity defense. So if a guy was found, you know, who killed three cops, uh, his lawyer would say, well, you know, he had a he had marijuana before, so he was insane, so he can't do anything. And people were getting off on uh, charges, you know, like cop killing, for example, uh, on the on the claim that they had marijuana. So all of a sudden it was discovered that marijuana doesn't make you insane. Congress decided, sorry, it doesn't make you insane because we want to wipe that out. Uh, the next idea was marijuana is an entry drug. It's the drug you take and then you go on to something else. Well, there was never any evidence for that. But that was decided. And then in the early 50s, something else happened. Marijuana is being brought in here by red Chinese to poison the American population and destroy us. You know. So therefore, we've got to stop marijuana. And it kind of goes on like this. Actually, the peak of marijuana use was, as I said, in the 70s. But that was rich kids. So you don't throw them in jail. You know. And then it got seriously criminalized. You, know, you, you really throw people in jail for it when it was poor people. I mean, that's roughly the history. The detailed history is quite interesting. Cannabis prohibition and prohibition in general are effectively a class issue. Just like in the United States, if you happen to be of a non-white ethnicity in Brazil, your chances of running into trouble with the law are much higher. Conversely, if you don't have that much melanin in your skin, you might get the kids will be kids treatment and not much more than a slap on the wrist. Of course, depending on the jurisdiction you are in, how much money you or your family has in its bank account, and a few other factors. Well, this inevitably leads to the topic of politics, and I wanted to get Joao's perspective on how big of a factor cannabis plays in Brazilian politics. I'm not saying that cannabis is not a huge... It's really important to discuss right now in Brazil because for sure we spend a lot of money with cops and jail and all this problem with the communities. It's a huge issue here because we have the drug cartel that control a lot of money. It's a huge deal. But at the same time, we have presidents in the jail. We have like we are figure putting all the politicians in the jail. A lot of things going on in Brazil, you know, about that. So the cannabis is an issue, but like in, for a country that is like in the huge changing, sometimes is not the main point. That's the thing. Sometimes other stuff like uh, uh, changing the tax or like uh, like reform in like different aspects of law, how people like make money. And those things are more like important for them. It's like because of Bolsonaro is doing a lot of mistakes. He's like, like, man, like the population really don't represent him. Like we don't think like him, like most of the population really like it was a mistake him in the power. I don't talk much about politicians, politics, but like him is not doesn't represent what is Brazil. He's like really bad politician. He's doing bad for Brazil. The Amazon, it was a bad move of him. What's happening is like because he's like talking like really like in the not really communication well about like what's going on in Brazil with other countries. So we are having problems with Amazon because we are not. Uh, it's it's a it's a rich country. 
but really bad administrate. So we we had money coming from like Europe, like to to preserve Amazon, and because of the way he deal with business, those countries with politics, those countries stopped to put money in Brazil. So the organizations that stop to getting money start to burn Amazon to like call attention and say like, hey, like we need the money. That's that that's what's going on in Brazil. So imagine that political discussion in cannabis. So that's the thing. Just like in the US, Europe and other parts of the globe, cannabis can be a big issue. But given the state of the world and looking at the people in power, it's not necessarily the top priority, and understandably so to a degree. I, for one, believe not having the Amazon rainforest on fire should be a priority for the whole world, considering our species cannot survive without it. This evidently is not that big a concern for President Jair Bolsonaro, who, like Donald Trump, is a climate denier in addition to being a fan of military dictatorships, a misogynist, a homophobe, and a racist, just to name a few of his gentlemanly features. The current political issues are very complex, and there are many other more pressing issues than the mere legalization of a plant. Though, I would argue that the legalization of cannabis and hemp, for industrial purposes, can help deal with a lot of the current issues on hand, but there still is a lot of work to be done in other areas as well. So what does the future hold for Brazil, at least as far as cannabis goes? So, Bogdan, uh, what I think is going to be the future of Brazil is going to be a mix of formats, you know? We are going to like have a lot of Uruguay formats. The model of Uruguay is going to have impact on the Brazilian uh, um, uh, model as well. But I, I think the recreative side is going to be huge as well in Brazil. Because we are a huge market, you can see in the recreational side, we can have a lot of like good stuff going on. Brazil is a huge country, it's really big. So I think that is a lot of opportunities in the investors and the entrepreneurs are seeing that. Like I said, I said to you, like the Shark Tank Brazil, they invited me it's because they already seen that as an opportunity, not only for like cultivators, the family is going to be a mix of everything. I think we are going to like have a lot of years to understand. We are going to have a lot of time to process, to find a way. But I really believe like Canada studied the Uruguay like uh, model a lot and that they create their own mixing US with Uruguay. So they have like a really like uh, that works for Canada. I think we are going to in, in a way, find, like, committing mistakes. In other words, learning by committing errors. I think Joao is right in that it will take time to get things right, and there will be mistakes made along the way. Just look at Canada and its issues with some types of cannabis being legal and others still being illegal, despite the government claiming that it has done away with prohibition. Either way, progress will continue and Brazil will eventually follow suit. It's just a question of when and how at this stage. So, any advice to young entrepreneurs and activists from a Shark Tank veteran? That is uh, two things. I, I think, in a way, uh, we can do activism with uh, business. Entrepreneurship could be really activist. So, I would say to someone that wants to be part of the cannabis industry is to have 
is to use that power of the business to like help the legalization movement around the world, hiring people related to cannabis, like supporting festivals, like, you know, like supporting the whole community. This is really activist in a way. Another thing that I always say is to, to my like students is you need to understand how the cannabis uh, uh, legalization movement works because each country has your particularities, uh, is changing a lot, the regulations, the law. So this dynamic uh, is really like exclusive to the cannabis market. So you need to study. My main point is before you start developing and creating your own company, go and understand how cannabis works in the country that you want to start your business. We say here in Brazil that we have a um, market that supports the, the cannabis, like uh, papers, rolling papers and things like that. So they are able to create those companies, but they are not able to like touch the plant, we say. So there is uh, opportunities if you like live in a not legalized country. We, you can go for like clothes and things like that and start experimenting on the cannabis industry, starting to understand that. Uh, some nice words of encouragement. If we want to learn more, where can we go to find Joao? I think the best way is go first to Ganja Talks. So over there, they're going to see our profile on who is happy, Bill Elemental. From there, they go and find me because my username is so hard. So I think Ganja Talks is the best way. Sadly, we have to wrap up, but not before we say ciao to our guest. João Paulo Costa, thank you for being my uh, guest today. And uh, thank you for the interview. Thank you for the opportunity to speak with you. It's been a pleasure, and I wish you good luck on all your cannabis-related endeavors. Hey, Bogdan. Thank you very much for inviting me for that. Uh, it's a great opportunity for sharing knowledge and sharing what's going on in Latin America. My English is not the best. I wish everyone understood everything. Uh, Brazil is in the middle of like whole revolution. And I'm really happy to, to be here talking about those things with you. Thank you very much, man. That was episode one of season two, number 26 overall. Thanks for coming back on this ride, everyone. And special thanks to João Paulo Costa. Make sure to check out his Ganja Talk site for some useful instruction on cannabis or just to give him a shout. We will return in a couple of weeks with a new guest, which I think you will all enjoy. If you would like to support the Critical Grass podcast, you can go to our Patreon website where you can subscribe or donate. As always, reach out to us on social media if you want to keep the conversation going. My name still is Bogdan. You'll hear from me again soon. Até a próxima!